the world system. You leave the world's way of thinking. You leave the world's priorities. You leave the world behind, and you follow Jesus. Remember, I surrender all. We surrender everything. We give everything away. We chuck it. And suddenly, we're now in the kingdom of light. John says this, you have passed out of death into life. Did you know that? Christians, when you die, you're going to go through a different door, so to speak, because you have already been transferred into the kingdom of life. You are in light right now. So how do we live in a world that's crazy and still be living in this kingdom where there's purpose and there's understanding and there's wisdom and there's transformational power. How do we do that? Well, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's Jesus's, I think, was his stump sermon. You know how politicians go around and say the same speech everywhere they go? Well, I think we have what Jesus taught the multitudes. When it says Jesus was teaching the multitudes, I think that we have it almost encapsulated in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember, months ago we started on the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that say, you're God, I'm not, and I need you. Blessed are those who mourn that say, I am stinky, and I need Jesus to come in and, and cleanse me and fix me. And blessed are the meek, those that surrender their life to Jesus, because we get everything, baby. May not seem that way, but we do. And blessed are those who thirst and hunger after righteousness. And we start examining our life and, and getting more and more like Jesus. And we find out that as a citizen of this thing to do is to forgive somebody that's hurt you, that's wronged you, that's that's done nasty things to you. That is, that is tough. And that's where the power of Christ comes in. And it says that we're going to be pure in heart. And we're going to be peacemakers. We're about reconciling, reconciling broken relationships. And when we look at all that goodness, because that's all goodness, right? That eighth beatitude bugged you a little. I remember it. Do you remember what it was? Blessed are you who are persecuted. Because it doesn't make sense. If you're kind and loving and forgiving and pure in heart and, and you're walking in a way that just love is oozing out of you, why would you be persecuted? Why does the world hate Jesus so much? It's a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle. Then we talked about when Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. In other words, Jesus says, if you're going to live in my kingdom... It's not just posing, pretending to be good, or pretending to live a righteous life. It has to come from the heart, right? Remember, if you, if you want to actually murder your neighbor, you're already guilty of anger, right? You remember that. And we talked about how love is the axis that Jesus' kingdom revolves around. And we talked about how there are no hypocrites in Jesus' kingdom, doing religious stuff just to be seen by others or to make yourself feel good. We talked then about how to pray. And last week, we talked about if your heart is hurting, you're going through trials, you're going through temptations, and things just are out of control, our bodies and our soul and our spirit are to be so connected that our stomach actually loses its appetite. And that's a, that's a clue to say, I need to talk to God. I just need to be talking to God. 
now it's going to seem like we're taking a left turn. Because here we are talking about how to live in Jesus' kingdom, right? Not to live like the world, but to live like Jesus. And we're going to take a left turn. And here's how we're going to take a a left turn. But we're really not. We're going to talk for a moment about private property. And you're like, what? Why are we going to talk about private property? Did you know that God is all about private property? Did you know that? He is really big on private property. In fact, the Israelites all got a piece of land. And God was all about that. He gave every Israelite family land and possessions. Remember when they left Egypt, they they plundered the Egyptians. So they come to their new land and God says, you get 40 acres and you've got gold, you've got silver, you've got cattle. And then he gave them opportunity to create wealth through their private property. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way. Uh, But when we meet Abraham, he's not very rich, but by the end of his life, guess what? That guy is super rich. Okay, well, what about Isaac and Jacob? And what about Job? Remember, Job had everything, and Satan came along and was given permission to strip it away. But at the end of the story, guess what happens to Job? He gets more than what he had before. So let's kind of work through this in our, in our, our mind then. That both New and Old Testaments recognize the right to have material stuff. Including money and land and animals and houses and clothing and every other thing that is honestly acquired. Now, here's where I'm going to take that left turn. You could call this capitalism, right? God gives you private property so that you can be successful on your own. Because God has made promises of material blessing to those who belong to Him and are faithful to Him. And I know this sounds crazy, but the, the commandment to not steal or covet wouldn't make sense if you didn't have private property, right? If we all lived in, co- in communism, a uh, communist country, or really a socialist country where we're kind of heading then we don't get to own our own stuff. We don't own factories. We don't get to own IRAs. We don't get to own stock. We don't get to own anything. Everything is, is either taken from you or shared. But that's not the basis of personal property because you didn't break the law if there's nothing to steal because you don't own anything. Now, here's where we're going to get to the nitty-gritty of today, though. You know, stealing and coveting are wrong because you stole it from someone because it belonged to somebody. The way God, and here's this politically correct word, redistributes wealth is through the heart of His generous people. The way the world redistributes wealth is by taking from some and giving to others. You can call it socialism, you can call it capitalism, but it's by man's wisdom under this kingdom or this dominion. And God's way is, hey, you have private property. I want to bless you. I want you to to prosper. But I want you to prosper so that you can bless other people and not hoard it. Are you with me on this? Because that's what our text is really going to talk about. I, I love that God's way is a heart issue. 
And the world's way on redistributing wealth is physical forcing someone to take, uh, take their, their wealth. Now, there's a guy named Andrew uh, Pudzder, kind of weird name, but let me just quote him. He says, capitalism is often mischaracterized and is based on greed. Socialism is then also mischaracterized being based on being altruistic. You know, that it's, it's all for the benefit of everybody else. And then he goes on and he says this, but if you think about it just a little bit, you'd realize that when you're in business, you automatically are trying to satisfy the needs of others You're always trying to satisfy the needs of your customers, and you're trying to bring in new customers. You're trying to provide them the best value, the best product, at the the best value. That's what capitalism does. I mean, Charles, you ran a gas station for years, and you were going to be in business only if you treated your customers right, right? Yeah. So what capitalism does is it takes the inherent desire everybody has to improve their lives or their family's lives and turns it into a form of altruistic conduct. Because to, to succeed in life, to move ahead, you have to meet the needs of others. Catch that. In order for capitalism to work, you have to be others-oriented in order to be successful. Socialism does exactly the opposite. In socialism, you're competing for a limited amount of government-provided goods or services. Whether you're waiting in line for bread, as in the case of Venezuela, or used to be in the Soviet Union, you're waiting for medical care. Whatever you're waiting for, you want the most of it for yourself and your family. In other words, If you're waiting in line for bread, you want as much bread as you can possibly get your hand on before the guy behind you gets his, right? So you want as much as you can possibly get, and what you end up is encouraging people to be greedy. You encourage them to try and take what they can from a limited supply of government services that is created. So actually... It's the opposite of what kids are being taught in school and in high school and in college. It's capitalism, that's private property, that really encourages more of an altruistic approach to life. And socialism actually encourages greed. Isn't that weird? Isn't that interesting that when you really think about it and break it down? Now, I have to... I, I know I'm, I'm teaching more than preaching right now, but let me tell you a real-life uh, event. I had moved to Missouri, and uh, we were in ministry, and this 17-year-old girl got pregnant, and she had a baby, and she dropped out of high school, and she got, uh, the father was a, a 19-year-old boy who had dropped out of high school, and they were living in an abandoned farmhouse out in the country. This farmhouse had no roof on one side of the, the house. And they are raising a three-month-old baby in no heat, no water, no, no nothing. So I go out to this farmhouse, and I, I sit down with the man. The bo- I don't want to call him a boy, but he's 19. He's a father. And I said, tell you what, I said, I've got a deal for you. I said, if you come to church and you 
come to Wednesday night and you get in a mentoring relationship with an older man in the church. It may be me. It may be somebody else. We will take a mobile home and put it on farmer's land that we know. And you can live there for free. And we will supply food for you on this condition. We will send you to a trade school to learn welding. There's, there's, there was a welding school that was less than 20 miles away. And at the end of your certification of being a welder, you will have enough money and uh, a, a be able to start a new life because you have a three-month-old child. I'll never forget this until the day I died. He, he sat down, got out a pack of cigs, knocked it like that while he was listening to me, and then he put it in his mouth and lit it up, and he took the longest drag. And he said, now why in the world would I want to do that? I can do nothing and get money from the government. Now, I looked around, and there his, his baby was crying. The mom's there, and all he can see is, no, I don't want to do anything. God put in you a desire to create and sometimes what we create is wealth, but that isn't licensed to be greedy. It is to be generous, like we are trying to be generous to this young man. But he just didn't get it. And the way you use your property says a lot about your heart. Are you with me on that? The way you use what God has entrusted you to says a lot. So I've known a few greedy rich people. I have. And I've known a lot of generous rich people. I have. I've known a few generous poor people. And I've known a lot of greedy poor people. So it doesn't matter how much private property you have. Greediness or focusing on stuff is a heart issue, isn't it? doesn't matter. Because rich people can be greedy, poor people can be greedy, rich people can be generous, and poor people can be generous. Do you realize that it was only once that Jesus told a person to go sell everything they had? Because it was an idol to that man. So Jesus was telling him truth. Hey, you've got something in your heart that needs to be dealt with, and the only way we can do and deal with it is to rip away everything you have, all your wealth. Wow. Greed, wanting more and more stuff to fill a spiritual hole is definitely a heart issue. And once again, living in Jesus' kingdom is a heart issue. And today the text is going to prompt these three questions. What do you really treasure? What do you treasure in life? What do you see as important to being fulfilled and who do you serve? So you have your Bibles with you. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to pick it up at verse 19. Verse 19. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the very first fill in the blank, well not fill in the blank, just the first part is treasure. We're going to be talking about treasure because that's what he's saying. You know, we all enjoy stuff, don't we? I do. I enjoy food. I enjoy uh, toys, especially if they have engines on them and they go really fast. Or uh, I enjoy tools. I enjoy houses. I enjoy vacations. I enjoy all that kind of stuff. And so do you, right? Don't try to pull this, oh, no, I'd, I'd rather not have any, anything. No. Because God's given it to you. When we have nice stuff, it feels good. And sometimes it makes us feel valuable, but our value doesn't come from what we own. Our value comes from who we belong to, and that's Jesus. And at Christmas time, when you're young, what do you focus on? The gift. You know, when you're four years old, all you're interested in is the gift, right? But when you get older, you start looking past the gift and you start seeing that the real thing that is so valuable is the giver, right? I mean, that's, that's, so whether we give a toothpick or a toothpick holder or we give a Maserati, the, the object is nice, but the giver is the one that has the value, the real important uh, uh, thing in, in that equation. It's the value of the giver. Now, it's interesting, you can't see it in the text, but there's a play on words. Lay up comes from the word treasure. So he says, treasure your, don't, don't treasure your tr- earthly treasures, or uh, I'm kind of botching it, but do not treasure up treasures for yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. And I don't want you to read into the text because it's morally right for you to provide for your family. It's wise to make plans for the future. It's important to make investments and not to consume everything at once. To have self-control, to practice delayed gratification, uh, or to have money to carry on a business and to give to the poor and support the Lord's work. All that stuff is good, wholesome stuff. It's when we're dishonest and greedy and covetous and stingy and we hang on to our possessions. Don't, don't treasure treasure. Does that, does that make sense? Treasure the one who gives you the treasure. Right? So I, I like my house, but I love the one that gave me my house. And that's, that's so important to, uh, to understand. You know what they say? Greed killed the golden goose, right? What did, what did the golden goose do? laid all these eggs every day it laid a golden egg and then somebody came along and said I know what I'm going to do I'm going to rip that goose open and take all that all those eggs out not realizing that what they were to be treasuring was to be taking care of the goose right man when we take care of our relationship with our heart with Jesus all, all those other good things happen in our life and we see those things happen in our life to honestly earn and to save and to give is wise and good, but to hoard and only spend on yourself is not only not very smart, but it's sinful. 
money, private property, and stuff that are used for the kingdom can be means of, according to the text, of accumulating heavenly possessions. No moth or rust or thieves can destroy what belongs to you. Now, you know, we have money. Well, we have plastic, really, right? We have plastic and we have computers that say we have so much money. But really, we, we've gone away from paper and coinage and all that. But back in Jesus' day, the way you carried your wealth around was in clothing and in grain or cattle. So when Jesus, go back to the text, he says, Do not treasure up treasures for yourself here on earth. So he's not against treasuring up treasures. He's just saying, don't, don't be focused on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in. It's interesting, the word rust means to consume. So it meant that mice and rats and vermin were getting into the granary and eating up your wealth. Or the moth was getting in your clothing and eating up the wool. And so, and thieves, we've all been stolen from. And if you've never had that delightful experience, I hope you never have. But it is very violating to be stolen from, especially especially from someone you trusted. That, that really hurts. But when our time and energy and possessions are used to serve others and to, to build uh, in the future, uh, that's, that's safe. That, that's good. So here's the fill in the blank. Because Jesus ends almost just poetically, but he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I said it a different way. What you care about is where, you're fo- where you focus your resources. Do you realize that? That's, that's pretty pragmatic. That's pretty simple. What you care about is where you focus your resources. Where, where do you focus your resources? You know, when there's a wish and a dream and a hope, and we, we put our energy towards that. And if our focus is ourselves, we'll be successful. But it won't be healthy for us. It won't be good for us. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So the location of your treasure kind of indicates where your heart already is. Let me be clear. God doesn't vilify rich people, and being poor is not a goal either. None of you wake up and say, being poor is a goal. It's just whatever your private property you have, don't treasure it up because of greed. Don't, don't, don't do it because of fear. Be wise with it, but you're a steward. Citizens of Jesus' kingdom, they seek treasure, they chase after, they work hard to be. uh, We do it for, for the sake of Jesus. But citizens of this world, they do all of their working hard to fill a hole in their heart. How many cars do you really have to own? How many cars can you drive at one time? Seriously. You know, how much food? I heard a saying a long time ago. If you eat lobster every day, it starts to taste like soap. Have lobster for a whole month. And you know what it's going to taste like at the end of the month? Soap. You know, you thought it was going to be great. It It just happens that way. Put it a different way. This is kind of crazy to think of. If Jesus doesn't come back soon, everything you wear, everything that is precious to you, 
is going to end up in the dump. Do you realize that? Everything you have, if Jesus waits to come back, is eventually going where? To the dump. And so don't put so much value in stuff. In America, it's tough because we're the richest nation in the world. And we have such access to easy credit, access to the best goods and services there are in the world. And we can start getting kind of swayed from this part of being in Jesus' kingdom. And suddenly we're finding that, man, I need this. I got to have this. This is what's going to make me happy. This, ah, when you start saying this is going to make me happy and it has something to do with stuff, There's a heart issue going on. Heart issue going on. Let's go back to the text. Verse 22. He says, he follows up with this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy and your whole body is going to be full of light, but if your eye is bad or cloudy or not singularly focused, your whole body will be full of darkness And if then the light in you is actually darkness, how great is your darkness? Uh, I grew up in Southern California, so down in Huntington Beach, and we had fog come in pretty regularly. I remember one particular time, I went out to a New Year's party, it was a church event, the youth group got together, and suddenly the fog rolled in, and I had to get about five miles home. I could not see, and I wasn't smart enough to think, I need to just stay put. I got in my Mustang, and I opened my door, and I drove all the way home looking for the yellow line like this, trying to get home. Yeah, not the smartest thing. Jesus is saying when your eye is cloudy and foggy because you're focusing on the things of the world that you think you need, you start getting foggy on spiritual issues. And you don't see clearly like you should. I love the way Proverbs says it. It's Proverbs 28. It says, a a man whose eye is evil chases after wealth. And does not know that poverty is about to snare on him. See, our material possessions don't have any spiritual value whatsoever. It's only when we use them for God's glory that they suddenly have eternal significance. And that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So here's the fill in the blank. After our vision, the way we look at and use our money is a measurement of our spiritual clarity. The way we look at and use our money is a measurement of our spiritual clarity. If it's all about you, baby, then you're probably not seeing things very clearly. We'll become blind and almost callous towards spiritual matters. You know, I'm going to try to do an object lesson here, but just using my hands so you can participate as well. Um, People that are living in Jesus' kingdom, they have open hands. Blessings come in, wealth comes in, 
stuff comes in and it just kind of flows out. He puts more in, pours more out. This, this illustration is used by Dave Ramsey, but in a little different context. But in this, this is what the world teaches you. Hang on to it. Hang on to it. Hang on to everything you've got and spend it on yourself. And what that does is suddenly it clouds you. See, when the hand's open, you can see. You can see God wanting to give you more so that he can, you can be a conduit, right? But when you try to be stingy and greedy and covetous, this is what happens and this is what happens to your spiritual sight. You can't see very clearly. A clenched fist blinds us. Okay, we need to finish up. Look, go back to the text. Verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or your text may say mammon, which means stuff, wealth. By definition, a slave can only have one master. And so you're either going to be a slave to Jesus or a slave to yourself or some, something else. And I, I love the way John MacArthur said it. Let me just read you. It says, Our treasure is either on earth or in heaven. Our spiritual life is either full of light or full of darkness. Our master is either God or mammon. The orders of those two masters are diametrically opposed and cannot coexist at the same time. The one commands us to walk by faith and the other demands we walk by sight. The one calls us to be humble and the other to be proud. The one to set our minds on the things above and the other to set your minds on things below. One calls us to love light, the other one calls us to love darkness. The one tells us to look towards things unseen and eternal and the other one says, look at the things that are temporal and seen. So here's the next fill in the blank. And I love this. I love this because it's so practical and so concrete. Either you love money and you use God or you love God and use money. Isn't that simple? Isn't that, doesn't that make sense? And so, where's your treasure? What fulfills you? How well do you spiritually see? And who's your master? And man, that, that's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. I love what Paul tells Timothy. He says this. As for the rich in this present age, and by the way, in America, we're all rich compared to the rest of the world. As for the rich in this present age, charge, charge them, tell them, don't be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Riches can go like that. Snap your fingers. Just snap your fingers. That's how fast your riches can go. I had a buddy, somebody that worked on staff at the church I was at in Missouri. He had all of his retirement in GM stock. Do you know what happened when the government took over General Motors? 
He lost everything. Thank you, government. So that he, he just lost it all. That's how uncertain riches are. Uncertain. And so it's not very wise to put your energy and your focus in trying to get more stuff. What is wise is to invest in one another, in our relationships. Do you know, you're going to be in heaven. So in one sense, I get to take you to heaven. Or if you want to say it this way, Charles gets to take me to heaven. We all get to keep these relationships. And so the value that Jesus is telling us is if you're a child of the king and you live in this kingdom, don't get sucker punched by the world. Let Jesus run your life and invest in one another in the relationships and be wise in your spiritual walk and you will have treasure on heaven in heaven that is there waiting for you and it is about delayed gratification it isn't a manipulative trick to get people to give to the Lord's work because you can buy your neighbor a bag of groceries this week you can do something that has nothing to do with the church body you can go and be salt and light and love and be generous you can be generous with your words can't you you can be generous in your prayer life when you pray for other people the heart is where generosity starts and that's because Jesus is on the throne there let me pray father